So what'd you get caught up doing? Uh, yeah, this morning was mat repair or like maintenance work at the gym. And so let's start off this morning with uh, some sewing at the gym and then uh, finish that project at like a reasonable time. And then uh, my manager, Carly, was coming into the gym. I haven't seen her for a few days, actually for like a week. So we just like, there's always a million things going on. So caught up with that. Yeah. <laughs> so what's the what's involved in mat repair? Uh, in this case, it was uh, sewing the the seam that Velcros it down to like the base. So like falling and walking on the mat was like wearing away the thread. And uh, so I just like, I tried it like two months ago and the sewing machine was giving me grief. So I kind of like abandoned that and then had to come back to it now and finally got it done and sewing machine worked great. So yeah, it's just stitching it back together again and and then laying it back down. How long have you been for. sewing for? Oh, not long. I just bought a machine last year, maybe a year and a half ago for this specific reason. It's like a commercial uh, or an industrial sewing machine because the alternative is I have to take the mat, cover off, ship it probably to Calgary or even somewhere in town maybe could do it. But then the whole bouldering room is closed until it gets done. Whereas if I can do it in-house, I can just get it done or do little bits at a time um, and get it back in service by 10 or 12. So it's ready to go. Oh, yeah. And then it's yeah. more in your control, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, like, you know, the manufacturer of the mat is out in Calgary. So if I had to ship it back to them, that's going to be at least a week, you know. Oh, and yeah. It's have the bowling room closed? Yeah, yeah so that yeah. can't. That's not good for that business. That won't fly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the alternative would be finding someone local, but um, it's also just straight line sewing. It's nothing technical. So I've sewn a little bit enough to like know that it wasn't going to be that difficult. But working with Velcro, uh, that was not so so easy to like fine tune the machine. And I don't know enough to like know exactly what I'm doing for fine tuning the machine. So it's a lot of trial and error. But yeah, <laughs> how frustrating was that? Uh, last month it was very frustrating. <laughs> but I went in last night and like did some, I don't know, some test runs and find and like tweak the machine until I found that it was working well and it worked good today. So, so you did it all by feel, not with through an instructional or anything. I watched a YouTube video quick, but <laughs> it, it kind of showed me a few things that I tried and it seemed to work. So, oh, yeah. solid. Yeah. Hey, so what got you into climbing? Um, my parents, really. Like, my dad was always a pretty adventurous guy. Uh, he had some gear from, I think he did, like, an expedition out in BC to recover some, like, crashed airplane parts. Yeah, he's a pilot, and he had a friend go down in the mountains, and uh, he also went, to, I think, to recover body or something, and or leave a memorial, I think it was. Um and so, yeah, he kind of got outfitted with some gear and him and a buddy went into the mountains and hiked up and found the site and left a memorial and I think salvaged a few parts. And with that came some climbing gear and then uh, brought that up to the lake, which is in La Ronge, and wrapped us or like lowered us down on a cliff and was like, okay, climb on out. And so that's how we got started, just top roping some cliffs on the side of La Ronge. How old were you? Mm. Probably like seven or eight, maybe younger, six. Yeah, probably seven or eight. Because I started climbing at the original VIX vertical walls when I was nine. So that would have been, what, yeah, 20 years ago, roughly. Yeah. So, yeah, 93. And, uh, yeah, 93, 92, something like that. Oh, sorry, bro. That's... 30 years ago. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is 30 years ago. Math. <laughs> well, more so. That's how time flies. We still think a 1996 uh, yeah. vehicle is pretty new. Right. <laughs> Jeez, 30 years. Yeah. So, they started when you were nine. Walk me through. How did you keep going? Yeah, I think I just had an affinity for it right away. And uh, Vic, the owner of the gym there at that time, was, I think had kind of seen it in me as well. And uh, I didn't really like, we did the winter, I think that year when I was nine. Um, but didn't like I was playing hockey or swimming or something like that. I was in other activities. Um, so it was kind of like 
occupied doing those things until I was 12. On my 12th birthday at their newer gym, I went for my party there at Vic's Vertical Walls and then just like knew right there. It was like, hey, after summer, when we get back from the lake, this is what I'm doing. And that's what I did. My first year, I was competing already out in BC and it was, uh, yeah, kind of the rest is history, really. Who decided to get you competing? I don't know if it was really a decision, but it was just like, yeah, there's a competition happening in Kamloops or, yeah, I think it was Kamloops. And uh, there were some people going from the gym and mom and dad, like when I was 12, sent me to Kamloops with like four pretty much strangers. I don't even know if they'd met them, you know, at that point. <laughs> <laughs> And they're probably like 20 or, so, you know, pretty young. And we drive out there, compete, come back, hit like a gnarly snor- snowstorm on the way home or big blizzard. And we went spinning into the ditch, like right near Kindersley, slept at a hotel that night and then came home. <laughs> that was like my first outing into competition climbing was traveling like 15 hours with a spin into the ditch, you know, pretty wild, but it uh yeah sounds like you enjoyed it though oh absolutely i think i got third that's oh, sweet yeah in your first competition yeah like in a youth comp yeah yeah so how do you get ready for competitions then uh i guess it depends on competition like you're gonna train kind of the specifics depending on like you know if it's roots or bouldering if it's roots it's gonna be a little bit more endurance based endurance based training and bouldering's a little bit more power. And then also like the technical side of things, like I would say I'm more of a climbing training kind of person as opposed to like weight training kind of athlete. So I would be more of a technical athlete than I would be like a strong fit athlete. Uh, it's kind of, that's kind of been the, what I've le- leaned on more than anything. Um, I think probably mainly because it's more fun to just climb than it is to lift things up and put them back down but yeah (laughs) and technique doesn't go away with time you can only be improved upon yeah at least that's what i hope yeah that's what what i think yeah what'd you learn with technique that's really helped you efficiency more than anything right like climbing is about using momentum and like the laws of physics to help you through movement right and so yeah, the more force you can produce, the more momentum you can generate kind of thing. Um, but also your movement patterns can help you uh, allow your body to move more efficiently through certain patterns. So the technical side of things is like, you know, being mobile in certain avenues or certain like joints, I suppose. And then uh, having that like foot-eye and hand-eye coordination that's going to help you um, save time with accuracy on foot placements, hand placements, and, and then just that like proprioceptive, like, I guess, awareness to, to know where your body needs to be for that hole to feel how it should or less difficult. What do you mean by the, the accuracy and everything of your foot and hand placement? How accurate do you have to be? Well, if you're trying to put your foot on a foothold, that's maybe twice the width of a screw head or something at you know, and it's super steep and your body just had to release and then you swing back in and stab that foot, right? If you miss that foot, you have that swing taking you off the wall again, which now puts all the way back in your hands and then you have to try it again. So if you do that two or three times, you're now just basically doing front levers every time to try and place that foot. But if you have really good foot hand or uh, foot eye coordination, you can place that foot, save yourself some time and energy and be using three limbs instead of just two or whatever the circumstance might be. And then same thing with the hands, right? Like if you're going to a hold that requires two fingers or one finger and you miss it completely and you need that hold to hold on, right? Now you're either falling off or you're catching it with the other hand that was holding you. And if that hold's not good, bye. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you want to limit all that excess waste movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like uh, you watch really advanced climbers, you're going to notice that they're going to readjust a lot less than more inexperienced climber would, right? Like they're going to hit that hold and you're not going to really see them move because they hit it where they wanted to hit it. And now the rest of their movement is going to be um, free to move 
or like the rest of your body is going to be free to move because the hand or the foot was placed where you wanted the first time. Yeah. So every movement they make is so precise. There's no adjustment needed. Ideally, you know, like obviously it's not always going to be the case, but if you can be more accurate and more precise, then there's less adjustment needed. So is that the top dog goal for climbing then is to not have to adjust? I would say it should be definitely in that everyday practice kind of stuff. Like if you're training, you're... Uh, or you're climbing, you're trying to be as efficient as possible. Uh, especially you'll see root climbers being like in that flow state of uh, accuracy and movement. And, um, you know, if you're training and you're not trying to be precise, then you're not going to learn the precision, right? Or it's not, if you don't train like you want to compete, then you're not going to be. Um, yeah, well, if you're not deliberate level. with your actions, where are you going to go with that? Right. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So as a beginner, what do you tell beginners to to do to get better? Climb. Like, you know, like <laughs> a lot of beginners will come in and be like, okay, hey, what can I do to get stronger? It's like, I wouldn't worry about that so much right now. Like worry about learning how to climb because it is such a technical activity that even if you can do 10 one arms and you, but you have no idea what to do with your feet and where your body should be on things, then it doesn't matter. As soon as the holds start turning sideways at all or underneath, you can't pull on the holds anyway. So <laughs> what is pulling strength having or, you know, benefiting <laughs> you? Yeah. So it's all weight placement balance then. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. yeah. So you tell them climb and then now they're, they're climbing. What do you do to clean up their technique a bit? Yeah, I guess like, you know, just simple things like no, like no readjustment drills. Let's say you hit a hold and you have to commit to that, right? So whether it's your foot or your hand, and sometimes it's like, you, you could argue it's like a little dangerous or scary, but it uh, it kind of drives home the point that, oh, you're not accurate there. So what's going to happen if you have to stick with that and do that move? Oh, you fell? Okay. So this is just allowing you now, okay, you know, go back and try that move again maybe they'll place that foot just a little bit slower or reach that handhold with a little bit more like stability in the rest of the body. So it is accurate. You rush every single move and you don't have three points of contact or you're not moving in the right direction. Then being accurate is that much more difficult because you have to be faster. And you know, if you're just learning that skill, adding speed to that skill is not going to make it easier, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Rarely do you ever need to do something faster or harder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like in climbing, uh, obviously sometimes that speed's going to be important um, for certain aspects. But uh, yeah, when you're learning, like you don't, you generally say, you know, walk before you run. Right. And that can apply to everything really. But yeah. yeah. So then you have them do these non readjustment drills. What's, a couple drills you really enjoy doing or, or prescribing? I guess a bit more into that one. It's just like, hey, you could, I don't know, we've put pennies on footholds before or something like a little dime or whatever that if you hit it, you would knock it off. So it covers part of the hold. So now you only have the other part of the hold that is accessible. And that that's kind of an easy way to do things, right? Uh, we've lost a lot of coins down the side of the mats because of that one, but at, uh, yeah. <laughs> worth it. Worth yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and then for the hand thing, you can do things where it's like slow movement, just like grab the hole, but you got to commit to where it is, or you could do things faster too, where you're standing on a low angled wall and your hands are kind of going quick and both at the same time to two different holds spread apart. So you're working on that like peripheral, I guess, vision, um, and accuracy from there too. So you'd be staring basically straight in the middle of your hands and you'd move your hands to two different points and two different holds and trying to be specific on where you're holding onto those holds. Um, and if you move around and do that to different holds as you go, then you're, tr you're adjusting and you're also transferring your weight on your feet to try and keep your center of mass in between those two holds that you're going to. So when you hit those, your body's not pulling you one way or the other. Um, and so that's a good way to like, train that hand-eye coordination. You know, it'd be like playing catch with two balls at the same time. You're going to throw them at each other and you try and catch while you're like looking at the person's eyes kind of thing, right? It's a good way to, that's another thing that we'll do with our kids to like warm them up is like play catch with two balls and, and you just try and not break eye contact and you just use peripheral vision to catch. So this can be improved upon using your peripherals to be accurate with both hands simultaneously. Yeah, well then now you're doing more than just like look and place. You're also using like 
the brain in a deeper way where you're using yeah your peripheral vision to fine tune to be accurate right because like if you're jumping to a hole let's say uh in like some sort of um dyno where you have to jump from a hold to two holds that's a lot more difficult because you have to be accurate with each hand but you can't if you look at one hand solely then you probably can't see the other hand so the better way of going about it is kind of looking right in the middle and and uh spot and yeah using the peripheral to catch how'd you figure out that drill uh, there's some like i don't know if like i just kind of stumbled upon that but there was there's lots of good coaching information out there and um there's a coach in germany uh udo newman he's uh he does some really cool videos on you know uh coordination and and uh accuracy and perception and stuff so that might have been in there uh, or a coaching clinic or a climbing clinic or I don't know at some point I don't yeah. know where that so I, I couldn't source it <laughs> but you've sure. been experimenting quite a bit with these drills then yeah oh yeah yeah because I've been coaching probably since I was maybe 16 or 17 we started up a little program uh, maybe I was a little older maybe 18 just out of high school or something started up a little program out of Vix and so it's been 20 years yeah, I'll do the math right on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you 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 climbed, you competed, mm-hmm. and then you started coaching. Mm-hmm. How was the transition between being a climber to being a coach? Well, for probably 15 years of those 20 years, I did both at the same time. So I would coach my athletes at the gym, and then if I ever had them going to comps, I would still be competing and coaching at the same time, which you know, is maybe not the best coaching, uh, strategy, <laughs> but, um, in some cases it was great because I would be climbing with slash against the kids, um, or, well, maybe not against them because I'd be in a different category, but, uh, sometimes climbing the same things as them. So I'd be able to give them more insight than any other coach that wasn't climbing them, but I was still able to do both. So, you know, like it's, that has some benefits. Though. It did. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I think like having the kids see how it's done sometimes, like in in the training atmosphere, maybe more so than in the competition atmosphere, um, it uh, it's beneficial too to have it more like a visual representation of what I'm trying to talk about. And in climbing, that's I think really important because to for me to tell you how like your body has to shift between this like two pulling forces that are at a 45 degree vector and your momentum is traveling, you know, like (laughs) it, uh, I can make it sound very complicated, but then when you see it, it's like, Oh, it's really not that complicated, you know? So you can actually show them it's possible. Yeah. That helps too, for sure. You know, and like exactly where that body position should be, uh, as opposed to trying to like manipulate or like coach an, an, uh, an athlete into that position. So everyone else can see. You know, and everyone learns differently too. So it's nice to have like a verbal explanation and also a visual and and whatnot. So, what have you seen in some of your athletes who succeed? What's a commonality in them? Drive, passion. I think probably more than anything. You know, like if you really love the sport or what you do, you can take it as far as you want to go, right? But if you are just doing it because you're like, yeah, I'm good at it. Um, but I don't really like it, then you're not going to go very far, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> so somebody who actually has fun while doing it. Yeah, absolutely. If you're not having fun doing it, then why bother? You know, like we're not making millions as like climbing athletes. So it's not like you're even making a living doing it. Right. Yeah. Unless you're like the top 10 in the world kind of thing. But maybe it goes a little deeper than that, but not that far. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Not yet. Anyways. Yeah. Hopefully soon. Yeah. Yeah. So then what is a downfall of being a coach? Mm, sometimes it cut into your own training too, or like now you're at the gym with these athletes for, you know, 12 to 15 hours a week. And then if you want to train 12 to 15 hours and you're not training with those kids, then you got to find that time too. And if you're, you know, a full-time uh, if you're a full-time student or uh, you're working somewhere full-time, it's going to be tough to balance the two. But when I was coaching, yeah, I would train with kids because, again, I can demonstrate and I can also motivate by actively participating as opposed to just driving drills. 
<laughs> so you led by example then. Yeah. Tried to. Until I came to like sit-ups or something. Like, ter- <laughs> terrible at those. <laughs> For now. <laughs> no, no, always have been. <laughs> but you're more so the technical side. Have yeah. you found anything that helps in the resistance training arena that would help with climbing? Oh, yeah. You know, like, obviously, the climbing aspect of it is very physical, but there's still some things that it's nice to isolate and then progressively load so the kids and or the athletes can see their progress over time as opposed to just, like, climbing a route and then it gets easier over time, but then is, does that equate to your knowledge of the route and your techniques getting better and you're more efficient or are you getting stronger? So that, like, quantitative versus qualitative Uh, analysis is like it's nice in training to be able to have a weight hanging from a hangboard or something and then you have a time and now you can like uh, quantify it yeah definitely now our training is getting a lot more sophisticated as far as like how our programs are designed and when certain athletes are actually putting on load versus just focusing more on the technical and the body weight stuff you know like obviously as the kids get uh, older, they can do more. They can handle more. Their bodies are more mature. When they're young, you got to be careful with how much you're loading and if you're loading at all, and uh, and how much they're training and resting and all that stuff. Yeah. What are you doing for recovery? Me personally, like nowadays, I kind of just don't do anything. Like <laughs> 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 just because I'm not really training right now either. But. Uh, I am more motivated after this last week to like actually get back in and train a little bit and, and just do a better job of not just maintaining, but even trying to improve. Um, so I'll, uh, hopefully be, yeah, creating a schedule for myself and and doing a bit more, but what made you decide this week to start again? Nationals. I went back to competing. Well, a competition, I guess I did two this year, but, um, Yeah, back in 2020, I kind of retired from mainstream competitions after uh, my little like run of the Olympic qualifying year and World Cup year. Um, and so since then, I guess I've had a lot kind of going on with uh, starting another climbing gym here in town and, um, and uh, yeah, just trying to be home more a little bit too, as opposed to just living at the gym. So <laughs> you're uh, trying to find that balance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what was this World Cup and Olympic qualifier? What's What was happening with that? That was, so for the 2022 Olympics, uh, or 2020 Olympics, pardon me, that pretty much got pushed back to, what, was it 2022? Yeah, it was last summer, wasn't it? Oh, man, I don't know. I think it was. <laughs> anyway, it might have been 21, whatever. <laughs> Anyways. Um, this is the summer Olympics? Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, okay, I got yeah, you. The yeah, Jap- or, uh, the one in Japan. Okay. Yeah. In Tokyo. Um. Yeah, so I had been competing on the like World Cup circuit for probably since 2013, 2014, I think it was. Kind of as it got closer to it being announced, or once it got announced as an Olympic sport, and then once it got closer to, I kind of just tried to do as many events as I could to, to see where I'd end up being. You know, I knew the chances were pretty low of like actually going to the Olympics for climbing. Um, but I set the goal up for myself just to see how far I could take it and how close I could get. And, you know, by the end of it, it wasn't like I wasn't super close to making it, but uh, it was still still a great experience to try and, and push hard. And I had some years that were better than others. And I think once I hit kind of like 35, it was a little harder to to recover from those events and also to like balance a full-time job and spouse and you know, and, and train and recover what I needed to at, at that age. It was just, it took a lot after that kind of that season of running the world cups, trying to get my best ranking. I ended up, uh, going to like the Pan American championships, which was like the last Olympic qualifying event that I was allowed to go to. Cause I wasn't ranked high enough to go to, uh, the European one in Toulouse, but, um, Ended up being like 10th, but I needed to win that event to go to the Olympics. So I, I was still quite a ways away, but it was uh, it was still fun. So you think 10th is too far away? You're top 10, though. Well, no, just from that event. Yeah. Uh, like you needed to win. There was only one spot available to go to the Olympics at that event. Yeah. And so you needed to win that event. And 
like tenth is quite a ways away still. Oh. Like I wasn't even in finals. So, oh, how close but, can these events get between first, second, and third? Oh, really close. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I technically, I guess you could tie uh, in climbing, but it's pretty rare. Um, but it does happen. So how do they judge on some competitions? What are the criteria for winning? So there's three different disciplines in competitive climbing. Uh, there's speed. I'll start with that one. It's the easiest. Whoever gets to the top the fastest kind of thing. There's like two routes that are identical. <laughs> and when the buzzer starts, you go and you hit the buzzer at the top and it stops the clock. First one to the top of the wall wins kind of thing, or at least in finals. Um, and then with uh, lead, so that's with ropes. Um, they're generally like 15 meters tall and you clip the rope in as you go and each holds worth more than the last. So it's a progressive kind of route. Higher you get, the more points you get. And then bouldering is a little bit more complicated. There'd be a series of boulders, like four to five, and, uh, there'd be a hold or at least back then. Now there's two holds in the middle of the boulder that are like scoring holds. We call them zone holds. And then there's a top hold. Really, when you look at the score to break down uh, bouldering to differentiate athletes from each other, you'll have, they'll first look at how many of the, let's say, set of boulders, let's say five in qualifiers, did you top? So they'll look at that, let's say you did three. So on your score, it says three for tops. And then they look at how many zones you got. So out of five boulders, there would be five possible zones. Let's say out of those three tops, you got four zones. So you didn't top a boulder, but you got to the middle hold of that boulder. So you have three tops, four zones. And then they look to, for more differentiation at the attempts it took you to get to the top of the three that you made it to. So if you did them all first try, you'd have a three there. So it's three, four, three. And then the last differentiation is the attempts to zone. And so however many attempts it took you to get to those four zones would be your final score. How do they decide where to put the zone? It's a root setter's decision. Um, Generally, it's like a hold that can be easily judged. So that means they have to use that hold. It can't be just something they move off of really quickly. Generally, somewhere, it can't be the start hold. It could be the finish hold. I think you could have technically a start and you jump to the last hold and it's the zone and the finish, but <laughs> you, I don't know if I've seen that in like 10 years. So, yeah. yeah. So is the zone hold, is it usually near the crux or what is it? Um, or yeah, like sometimes the boulders are worked into two sections, kind of like you'd have, especially now where zones are uh, like weighted so much more than they used to before it used to go like, Tops, attempts to top, and then zones, attempts to zone. So now it's at tops and then zones. So more zones, the better. So without even looking at attempts, really. There'll be some boulders where the goal is, like, just get to zone, you know, because maybe the top is just so hard, just trying to make it to zone. So then it is kind of broken into two halves. And so that zone has to be, like, there's got to be value and difficulty to get to zone. Then there's also got to be, like, some value and difficulty to get to the top. Otherwise, the boulder is kind of just like if you get to zone, you get to top. It's like kind of a waste, you know? But yeah, yeah. Th- there's certain types of boulders that it makes sense to have the zone and then like kind of a gimme to the finish. But usually in competition, it's it's not a gimme to the finish. Yeah. <laughs> you get to the zone and that's nowhere near where you have to get to. Be yeah, yeah. <laughs> How has climbing strategy evolved over time since they've changed the rules for competition? Yeah, I think the biggest like that change from tops and attempts to top to tops and zone for scoring uh really now waits that like kind of final few seconds of your attempt on that boulder um so you'd have five minutes per boulder with a five minute rest in between kind of thing uh for qualifiers anyways and um yeah so if you're unable to like figure out that zone or the boulder problem and you have like 20 seconds left it's probably not enough time to make it to the top, but it's probably enough time to make it to the zone. So you're probably going to see more attempts uh, occasionally to just try and get zone because if you know you can't make it to the top, getting zones better than getting nothing. Yeah. In these competitions, how much is strategy involved compared to pure athletic ability? 
Mm, definitely that like climbing IQ is a big one in the like World Cup stage. Like if you don't know how to read a boulder, then you're kind of SOL, you know, because like you got a time limit. You don't just have, and you can't watch anyone else do it. So you're sitting there with t- five minutes to figure out how to get off the ground. And if you can't figure it out, then you just get a zero. Experience goes a long ways at that really high level because the climbing is also really difficult. But if you still can't, if you can't figure it out either, then you just have no chance, right? So it, uh, the strategy part of it or the like, yeah, the strategy and the technical and like that, that depth of knowledge of climbing is really important up at that level for sure. How are you getting prepared mentally for competition? I've never really had too much of an issue with like kind of mental stability in regards to climbing. Like I don't get too nervous. I get nervous for sure. Um, but, uh, I, I'm generally optimistic as far as like, okay, let's just go out here and have fun, try hard, like, you know, do the best you can. And, uh, and you know, like there, there'll be times in a round where you're getting smoked cause you're not getting off the ground or something. You can't figure out this boulder problem, which happens. And then you, you know, you gotta be able to like, let that go and move on to the next one because you have three or four more left to go. Right. And, uh, yeah. So preparing for it though, it's, yeah, just as long as you're healthy physically, then, uh, mentally it should come with that as well. When you are injured, it's kind of a different story, but with those times where you said you have to let it go, Mm -hmm. how easy is that for you to do? Mm, It's tough for sure. Definitely. Like as I got older, it got easier. I think just stronger mentally than maybe when I was a kid, it was like, you hold on to it or whatever. And you're, you're moving into the next boulder problem, still thinking about like what you could have done on the last boulder. That's not going to help you for the next one. So you can train it a little bit in, in, uh, in the gym, like kind of making, uh, almost like bets or something with your buddy. Like, okay, if you don't do this in two attempts, you're, you got to do a hundred pushups or something, or like, you know, little things like that, where you're like, you want to put some pressure on yourself and you can kind of help train that a little bit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, good, healthy state of mind is going into it. I think is really important too. Oh yeah. And I think putting pressure on yourself or someone else, external pressure on you really makes a difference too. You know, like if you don't have sponsors or parents breathing down your neck to perform, then it's a lot easier. Oh, where they're looking for a specific outcome. Yeah, maybe, you know, like I'm sure it happens. Yeah, you don't see it very often, but. So, it, uh, so you find less pressure, the better for the climber. Yeah. But you try to drill in pressure for competition though. Yeah, because I think competition, regardless of outside outside factors, uh, the competition itself is going to be that high pressure, you know? And like, even if you go into an event with a great state of mind, you're physically fit and everything, you, your foot slips or something, and or you can't read the boulder problem, yeah, you got to be able to just let it go and move on to the next one because you need to know that thinking about the last boulder is not going to help you for the next one. So you... You know, you can take your four-minute rest chair, your five-minute rest chair, and steam about it. And then as soon as you're on to the next one, you let it go. But try and, yeah, I think having a few minutes of reflection is good. Definitely, yeah, you give yourself a time within that rest period that you're just like, okay, at two minutes, 50 seconds, I'm thinking about what I need to do for my hands, putting on my shoes, you know, check my scorecard, check the time, have a sip of water eat a gummy or something and then go climb, you know, <laughs> occupy your mind. So you got to be disciplined with what you're thinking about. For sure. Yeah. Where'd but, you learn this? Um, I don't know. I think 28 years of climbing is, you know, you develop some things, but yeah, but like I've done lots of like athlete clinics and, and lots with the national team and, and, uh, and my own kids just kind of like prepping them for things that, um, are going to frustrate and piss them off and you know so oh so you're trying to sometimes we'll, get them rattled oh yeah sometimes it's so much fun when you do that <laughs> i remember a national team training camp in vancouver just recently actually like, well, like 2018 or something like that and uh 
you know, we get out on our round and the, the coach comes around with a bunch of rental shoes. He's like, this boulder is sponsored by Mad Rock. And it gives us like these pair of rental shoes on like a slab boulder or something. You're like, oh, okay. And, uh, you know, just to like rattle you, you know, and he's like, you got to try to at least one attempt in these. So I do. And I think I missed that for that boulder. I missed the one attempt in this. I just tried the whole boulder in these shoes and it was really hard. I never sent it, but after the boulder, he's like, you just needed to try one attempt. I was like, oh, well, oh, well, <laughs> you, know? you have the drive in you though. Yeah. 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 You know, I want like, the I challenge. Right? This boulder. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So how do you frustrate your kids? What do you do? Mm, I like these one shot. Uh, we call them one shots. You have two minutes per boulder on boulders that you've done before, or at least you've spent time with before. And in that two minutes, you only get one try. So let's say there's five boulders. You'll have five total attempts, right? One on each boulder. But then we'll usually give them like one bonus attempt that you can use any time within the five boulders, but you only get one. So if you use it up on the first boulder, then you only have one try on every other boulder. So, you know, it's kind of allow like, oh, my foot slipped or whatever, but I know I can do this boulder. You can use it up then and get back on the wall. So it allows them to like set the adversity aside and and have that one more shot to, to get it done. But then knowing that, okay, now I got to like let that go. And if it didn't work, I still got to let it go because I only have one try on the next bowler in the next two minutes, right? So it's kind of a cool, like, two-on, two-off flash round of just, like, you get today's day flash of this bowler go, you know? And flash is when you get it on the first attempt. Correct. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who have you seen crumble when you guys do this drill? Oh, You don't have the, to name names, but have yeah, you seen yeah. somebody crumble? Oh, for sure. You know, like, it's because you know you can do the boulder or you have like some uh, deep insight into this, this like climb. So you're fairly confident in it. Uh, you know, your foot slips or you do something stupid. It can like, it can hit you pretty hard. Cause like, Oh, I knew I could do all these boulders and I just like something stupid and then I fell, you know? So then in the, those scenarios are kind of perfect because you want these kids to like now take that and set it aside. And go to the next boulder. And then if they don't, now you have something to debrief about after. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, you got rattled. Why? Right? And next time that happens, how can we go about, you know, calming yourself down? Is that like just some breath work or, you know, just go to your happy place? I don't know. You know? <laughs> do what you need to yeah, do yeah, to yeah. get this done. Yeah. <laughs> so it seems you really try to expose the weaknesses and cracks in your athletes then. Yeah, I think that's like in competition, you need to, you know, if you don't exploit their weaknesses and, and introduce or like, you, you don't make expose it all, their yeah, expo yeah, expose them. Yeah. Um, you're, you know, they may not understand or even see that they have it and just continue on doing their thing without ever really being aware. And so you kind of have to play and experiment to, Make sure that, uh, you know, we're, you're working on those things that they need to get worked on. So we try to break them a little bit for sure. Cause <laughs> you just break them down and build them back up. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that no adjustment drill, mm -hmm. and then you got the flash drill with problems they've already had experience with, yeah. but only one shot. Yeah. You have any others for like technical things and mental uh, growth. Like we'll do some mock comp rounds too, where it's like full five on five off kind of thing and scorecards, whatever. And so they, you know, maybe compete against the other kids that are in their team kind of thing. And so it's a little bit more tight knit. Also um, really rehearse what's going to happen competition day. Yeah. And I think for new athletes too, that's really important because you know, it's kind of a, it's a new environment. And if you don't understand how the timing thing works and you know, like, if you get lost on whether it's your rest period or your climbing time, you're trying to like go and you shouldn't be going. And so now you're prepped and ready to climb, but you have five more minutes rest or vice versa. You overrest it or, you know, you're not ready for your time. So, you know, you got to be aware of, of the like flow of the, of the event. Right. And you, so you need to know the rules and so nobody's micromanaging you. You have to manage your own 
five minute rest and then you're it's time your time nobody calls your name or what mm, they would maybe for the first boulder but then throughout that no you got to know which boulder you're on to next you know like it's not rocket science but like it's pretty easy to get lost in it where you're you know like especially if you like just flashed a boulder and it, you have a five minute time frame and you are back in your rest chair at four minutes left you know, at the next buzzer, you're like, oh, I'm ready because that was almost a five minute rest period, right? So, but you oh actually God. have another five minute rest period. And so you'll see that every once in a while where like kid gets back on the boulder or it gets out there and they're like trying to go out there at the same time as another athlete. And you're like, no, no, no. One of you is not ready here for this. And so like, then that's where sometimes the judges have to be, have their role, their like running order or something in front of them so they know who's going on. Yeah. In a bigger event, they would have like, this is supposed to be this person at this time. That's a lot of mental load you got to deal with then as an Can athlete. Be. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're like, your coach isn't allowed to talk to you at that point either, right? Like once you're out of isolation, so in a bouldering competition, you'd be isolated until you go out to your climbs. So you can't watch anyone climb it. And you're usually sitting in a chair facing away from the wall. And then when your time starts, you can turn around and go to your boulder or you're coming from a transition zone that's behind the wall or something and then you all run out at the same time um and so you know you're going yeah to your boulders and your coach isn't allowed to talk to you uh, as soon as you go out from isolation to your first boulder that transition zone no coaches are allowed and when you're out on the uh, field of play so on the mats no one's allowed to give you any information or beta or anything so you're alone the whole competition then what as you're competing nobody can tell you anything correct yeah you can ask the judge rules like you know is this a start hold is that the finish hold uh like is that zone did i get the zone kind of thing like you can ask them about your score and stuff too when you're out there um but uh yeah you're not allowed to ask like who did this boulder or uh do i start with my left hand here or my right hand here you know like yeah, they're just going to tell you where the start holds are, where the zone is, where the top is, and maybe they'll point out a boundary line if there is one, but that's about it. And you got to problem solve the rest of the way. Correct. Yeah. On your own, you against the boulder or the root. So root climbing, same thing. Isolation, come out. No one can talk to you. No one can tell you anything about it. You got six minutes to try and get to the top of the wall, and that's it. Figure it out. So when it starts, you go into isolation and then now you're cut off from all contact from your coach and anybody else. Uh, yeah. So depends on how you organize it. Like isolation, you can have a coach come into isolation with you. Uh, no one's allowed a phone or anything Bluetooth into there. Um, and that isolation zone would close like an hour before the event starts. So you have enough time to warm up that, that coach can help you warm up and prepare mentally, whatever. Um, in a finals round, all the athletes go out to the boulders. They get two minutes each to preview the boulder. They can touch the start holds, but that's it. And they can talk together if they want to discuss the boulder problem. Then they all go back into isolation. At that point, the coach can talk to you about the boulders, but they couldn't go out with you to see them either. So it's just like, basically you're miming the boulder out to your coach. If you want to like, okay, it's going to be like this, this, and this, and this holds there and whatever. I think it's going to be this, right? Just going over it verbally again helps to just like solidify your memory of it. Right. And then, uh, and then you would go out. So yeah, in a finals round, it's just different formatting and how it goes, but everyone climbs up one boulder first and then they all go to two and then they all go to three. So you have more time in between, but, um, yeah, with like a qualifiers or a semifinal round, you go from isolation, no one gets a preview beforehand. They just go from their chair to the boulder. You get five minutes to preview it, climb it. Uh, and then as soon as your five-minute buzzer hits, you're off the wall or wherever you are on the wall, they call you off. And then you go rest for five minutes. And then you do that again for the next four boulders. And this whole time, you're cut off from contact from yeah. any support. Yeah. Yeah, like you could get you know, like the people in the crowd can cheer for you and but they cannot give beta. So like you know, there's been controversy at comps where like maybe other or there's teams that are in their language maybe giving them beta or there's like some sort of 
like code or something, but it's pretty clean for the most part. Yeah. Just on like, that honor system. Yeah. You know, like I think especially at a world cup, like there's people that are helping out for the event that probably speaks the language that that team's yelling in anyway. So, you know, so like someone's going to hear it and someone's going to say something about it or, or another coach from another team may know that language too or whatever. And, yeah. and call them on it but. it's all self-policed too because everybody it's a pretty tight-knit community yeah like obviously at like a world cup or olympic level it's going to be a little bit more cutthroat but <laughs> it, uh in the like our local scene and nationally it's it's pretty laid back still i gotcha yeah so do you predominantly do indoor outdoor climbing i'm predominantly indoor just, I think, like, <laughs> we're in Saskatoon, man, yeah. you know, like, seven, seven hours away from rock climbing, so my life is focused a lot. I've just been a gym rat my whole life, you know, just been hanging out indoors. Yeah. How is it when you go on real rock? Uh, it's good. Uh, my skin's always kind of baby soft, so it's, uh, that that's a whole other story, but yeah, no, it, uh, I like it. I would do more of it, for sure, if I had the time and accessibility to it, but. You know, I'll, I'll take what I can on my couple of vacations a year kind of thing. But uh, yeah. how have you found the indoor translates to the outdoor climbing? Well, like there's some things that are very different about it, like especially in the competition side of things, like comps are a lot more like parkour now than like just grab a small hold and pull on it. You know, uh, there's still some of that, but uh, it's more in competitions, a lot of more risky type climbs, not so much like danger risk but more like they're going to create scenarios where it's easy to like mess up or fall or you know miss a foot or miss the hand movement or something so it will take attempts from you um easier than like just something where it's just like grab a small hold and pull grab a small hold and pull right where like rock climbing is typically like that a little bit more like physical and uh and really technical so like the technical side of me i think adapts really well to rock climbing but the like pain in the fingers not so much um <laughs> and the physical side of rock climbing is like it's hard for sure oh so it's more physical than the indoor stuff uh it can be yeah but yeah i don't know it's it's there there's a lot of crossover for sure like climbing still climbing um especially roots and stuff so yeah yeah but with the indoor stuff that they're setting they're trying to make it difficult because they it's in a controlled environment right yeah and they're yeah and they're like in a competition like they're trying to find balance in the round two they're not going to make every single boulder problem just like uh, no textured foothold so if you like weight it the wrong way you slip off of it you know like <laughs> they're they're still gonna test all those skills of physicality and finger strength and like complexity with root reading and you know all the things that you'll still find on rock but just maybe more concentrated on the side of like dynamic and like tricky kind of climbing than rock climbing tends to be a little bit more straightforward a little bit more like um this rock is in front of me yeah yeah the other yeah is, there's a problem to be solved yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, and like, you know, and generally rock climbing, like, for the most part, people go out to climb things that are established, and there's probably a YouTube video on them, you could probably watch them, or or maybe there's another crew there climbing on it, and so the, like, on-site aspect of it, or the uh, the high-pressure stakes of rock climbing is, is not there um, so much, like, there's guys that go out and try and on-site things and stuff, too, so, like, you know, you can find it if you want to find it. Um, but a lot of people that are going out to rock climb recreationally or just going out there to try hard. Yeah. Yeah. How do you handle heights? Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I never really had an issue with it. Like falling from up high with like maybe dodgy protection, like climbing outside on rock with like trad gear or something is like a little scary, but it, uh, if it's bolted, it's, you're pretty comfortable. Yeah. So you really only get nervous when you're climbing trad. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And you're placing or, your own gear. Yeah. 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 You'll still get nervous, like with maybe a big long run out or something on sport routes, but generally only if like the fall is, looks like a little jagged or 
not so flat or slabby or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when you decided to open up a gym, how did that go? Well, yeah, it went fairly well. You know, like the first gym in Caswell, uh, we opened in 2011. And uh, <clears throat> it kind of like was just perfect timing. Uh, I was finishing my degree at the university. Uh, yeah, I just finished in 2010. And then the climbing gym, Climb 306, which was Vic's Vertical Walls, was just shutting down. And uh, yeah, at that point, it was kind of like a good opportunity for me to try and make it happen. Had a business plan from school all written up and took that to the bank. And they said yes. So we did it, found a space and started building six months Later, after occupancy, anyways, we uh, were getting the keys. Uh, we finished most of the building. It was kind of a staged <laughs> build, but uh, yeah, all our root climbing areas was done. Then a couple months after that was bouldering, and then uh, a couple months after that, I think it was like our birthday party room slash teaching walls and stuff. What was unexpected when you first started building or started the business? Hiccups were maybe just like city stuff. It's always the city stuff. <laughs> A lot of red Stupid tape. Stupid cities. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing again with the second one. <laughs> <laughs> How is it being a gym owner and a climber? It's fun, but it uh, it's busy. It's, the two gyms is a lot more than one. <laughs> Who would have thought? Increase your workload much? by one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who would have thought? Um, yeah. So finding time now is a little bit more tricky, but I'm still trying to root set a little bit here and there. I'm not coaching really at all anymore. Kind of handed that down, which has given me some more like personal time because I was always in the evenings from like four till nine, kind of thing, three days a week. So it was nice to kind of hand that off to the next generation and as a climber it's it's still really fun to like go in there and be in your space climbing your things you know yeah yeah what have you changed in the gym since the beginning um i think we stayed pretty true but like obviously the layout of the new gym i think is the biggest change like we found a space that was able to like accommodate the new school kind of bouldering design so just like as much floor space to stand when you're not climbing as there is to climb on you know so like our matting covers about the same areas like the non-padded zone so yeah yeah so, so you have a observation zone that is the same area or yeah. floor space as a climbing zone yeah so you need double the space now Pretty much, you know, without actually doubling the space, you know, like we actually have mm, probably about as much linear bouldering wall uh, footage at our new Nelson location as we do at Caswell, except you can step off the mats because that wall is long and kind of straight as opposed to like horseshoe shaped with no standing zone at the old gym, which now we've changed to have a standing zone, which meant we took out some walls. But yeah, having that space for people to rest and not be in a fall zone, <laughs> who would have thought, uh, is much more comfortable for those people that are, you know, maybe not in that environment all the time. So new people that are coming in can actually have a space to like sit and hang out and watch, observe, rest. And then when they're ready, step on the mats and go climb. That That's kind of the biggest change with the new place is that it's it's just more comfortable. Yeah, especially for new climbers. Yeah. So that horseshoe shape before was great for experienced climbers who are used to being in fall zones and observing. Yeah. But it's really tough to be there observing when you're not climbing at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, Or if you're new and you're going into that space when it's got 15, 20 people in it and it looks like there's no room in there, then you don't feel like it's very inviting because, you're, you know, you don't even know where to start because you can't even see half the walls kind of thing. So it, uh, I think now, so long as our, like, people kind of pick up with the new kind of design at the old gym there with some extra space to step aside and, and not be laying on the mats or sitting and stuff like that. It will make 
for more room and in a safer zone for sure. When did you yeah. figure that out? Uh, well, it was always kind of like, not always, but once we started the new gym, once Nelson opened, we just decided now, well, we have twice as much bouldering. So I think we can afford to make that other space a little less accessible climbing or a little less like wall square footage at the Caswell location um, and make it safer (laughs) (laughs) make make it make it feel better you know yeah Yeah. so it was mainly a safety concern before yeah you know like we got lucky like there was no no like major uh butt hats going on or anything you know like no one landed on someone but uh but there's always like the daily close call so it's just like why are we doing this right now when we can make the space so I think once it finally, once it gets done, like officially, where I tear those walls out, make some seating, adjust the pads for like a staging zone, essentially, uh, and paint the walls, make it a little bit like cleaner. It'll be, it'll be nice. Yeah. yeah. So in the beginning, you were focused on get as much wall space up as possible. Yeah, and that was the old design, right? Like that was the old like Vix vertical walls was just like okay. Here's your space. Pack a wall. Or put a climbing wall on every single surface that we can. Basically, you know. Oh, we got one hallway. We got to have someone walk down there. That's it. <laughs> and uh, you know, so there's just like fall zones all over the place. But it's a much better layout for sure. Has that been the growing trend then? Well, oh yeah. Well, yeah. Basically, like now it's if you're not on the mel- if you're not actively climbing on the wall, you're not on the mats. Like we built benches right along the mat so you can actually like kind of sit on the bench with your feet on the mats. You're technically still on them, but you're not underneath people that are climbing, right? Like, So it's changed it to be more spectator friendly then too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, bouldering too, yeah, has changed and like, or maybe not changed, but it's just, it's such a social activity, right? So like if you're going there to climb with a bunch of buddies, you're probably going to be climbing the same wall. You're not going to be climbing it all at the same time because you're probably climbing the same thing. So you're going to take turns at it. And while you're taking turns, the other people are sitting there watching. And so you're going to just like swap out that way. Yeah. And it really goes with the flow of it then mm-hmm. instead of before everything's a mismatch. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the design of the new place actually that spearheaded you to change the old gym. Oh yeah. 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 And it allows us to like say to the membership that is like, maybe complaining that we don't have, we took away walls while well, we just added twice as many walls. So now we're going to take away some of the walls that maybe shouldn't have been there in the first place at the Caswell location. So it was basically just like, okay, now we have extra space to reallocate people. We can get away with taking a wall out and getting it to the point where it kind of should have been in the first place, you know? Yeah, yeah. that's a big step to take though. Yeah, it's a bit of a gamble, but... You know, I think people will come around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's the biggest gamble you've made with the business? Probably building another location. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know if it's a gamble. Like it, it, <laughs> climbing in this city is there, but. <laughs> so what made you decide to build a second location? Uh, well, no, we're like Caswell's getting, Eric got really busy. Like, you know, especially midwinter, 7 p.m. to 9, it's just, you're not getting in there to really enjoy yourself. You're just kind of like stuffed in like a sardine kind of thing and trying to queue up. big part of that too is when that Caswell little bouldering room was packed, it was dangerous. And it was just like something that's just not comfortable to be in. We need more space and we'll have now two communities that can grow together. Yeah. Yeah. You had to make that tough call though, eh? Oh yeah, for sure. You know, like it needed to happen. If it wasn't me, it was going to be someone else, I think. So. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. How much wrestling did you do with that idea? Uh, that first started like officially in 2019. And so, then when did you start the build? To, uh, 2023. So four, you thought on it for four years and then pulled the trigger? Yeah. Well, yeah, COVID kind of really screwed that up, but so you thought about it for four years, but you only had two years where you could have pulled the trigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I actually had an offer in to lease this exact same space in 2019, and then COVID hit, so it was like, and then it just put the brakes on everything and started from fresh basically last year. So 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. How have things changed from pre-COVID to post-COVID for the climbing community? Well, I think it's actually like improved. Uh, I think just people are looking to do things, you know, and I think having some of the big movies come out on Netflix and Prime or whatever, and also the Olympics was probably a big one, you know, just having climbing be a little bit more mainstream, like... You turn on the TV, you probably see a GMC commercial with some like climbers in the background or something, you know, like <laughs> there's, it's kind of everywhere. Yeah. Um, Becoming less of that fringe sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I think that's, a, we can accredit it a lot to that, just more in your face, mainstream exposure. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what kind of gear do you prefer to use? Like how so? Well, what actually makes a difference in climbing? Oh, um, well, I think like a good fitting shoe with decent rubber is going to make a pretty vast improvement. The technology there has come a long way too in just shoes in general. Um, but then you need some chalk and you need a harness and like really anyone that's producing a harness is probably going to have a good stamp of like (laughs) certification on it. By law. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And chalk is kind of chalk. There's some better stuff out there but really it's just magnesium carbonate and you just put yeah. it on your hands dries so your hands out <laughs> yeah. so it's all the same harness either way it's going to protect you yeah whether depending on the comfort and yeah, then the shoes make sure they're good fitting mm-hmm. and the technology's already there yeah and chalk doesn't even yeah i think no. you know like some people don't even use it because they don't sweat that much and what i know it's weird <laughs> i can't even conceive that but are you joking it, no, yeah. Some people just are like, yeah, no, I don't sweat. I'm good. Okay. But it's pretty rare. Yeah. 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 I mean, there is a bit of cost savings there. This is a benefit. I suppose. Yeah. I suppose, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, what's the biggest lesson climbing or being a business owner has taught you? Hmm. Uh, I think in both, it's like a perseverance thing, you know, like. you you can't just coast your way through everything you got to work towards it right and yeah with business like there's some aspects of it that i'm okay with some that i'm just still learning every day with and you know like i came into it first as a passion project like i was a climber i was not a businessman at all uh i still maybe would not ever say i'm a businessman but i own some businesses so um but uh yeah you know and, and don't be afraid to like ask for help and, and find the right people to, to help. Right. Like I can't do everything. And, uh, so having the right team behind you makes a huge difference. Mm, so you realize it's the people that surround you then. Yeah. That help and I'd you. say that's the same in climbing too, right? Like training by yourself sucks. It's boring. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know, a good community goes a long way. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So from your youth till now, how has your safety improved with climbing? I don't think I was ever too too wild, you know? Like, I understood that you don't do something right in climbing, you're probably going to seriously get hurt. You know, so I wasn't too cavalier with all that. Like, I've done some little free soloing stuff back in the day and, like, almost slipped and fell, so I never did that again. Uh, you know? <laughs> and, this is uh, over hard ground, not over water? Correct, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> In like, uh, where was I? California, Grandpa Peabody Boulder, I think it was. It's like fifty feet, and it's like five seven or something. But my like foot slipped, and I was on jugs. Like I wasn't falling, but it was like, oh, <laughs> you're like, still fifty this, feet. Yeah, up, that hole broke. I'm gone. You know. So yeah, I think like you know, I've I've done some trad, but I haven't done a ton. So I, you know, I I kind of favor that like sport climbing <laughs> with a solid bolt that doesn't look rusty. You know, I'll favor that over like a tiny little nut placed in some shoddy crack or something. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think like climbing indoors too, like, you know, you kind of get a little bit soft, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you get the more pure climbing in there. Cause you don't have to worry about all these other external factors. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. You can drive right up to the gym and go climb in five minutes versus climbing up the crag and walking an hour. And, but, not to say that that's that climbing in the gym is better than climbing outside, but well, the it's view different, is better you know? outside. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but where climbing takes you, it's just bar none the best for sure. What's the best place it's taken you? Mm, most exotic. And this is my answer for this question all the time. Is like most exotic would be uh, Malta, probably. 
was there with a group of friends filming some deep water soloing where we had inflatable kayaks and we paddled around these three islands in the middle of the Mediterranean Ocean trying to find cliffs over the sea. That was pretty cool. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. You were kayaking around trying to find good cliffs? Mm-hmm. How was it to find these? Uh, it was okay. Like we, you know, we saw some photos on YouTube of like some big arches over the water and like, you know, so we kind of had some spots like scoped out. Um, and for the most part, the rock was good. Some of it was not so good, but it, uh, it was still an adventure, you know, found some good climbing and found some not so good climbing. (laughs) How high did you go? Mm, Probably like maybe no more than like 15 to 20 meters. Maybe a bit. Yeah, 20 meters probably. Over High enough. water? Over water. 20 yeah. meters is still pretty intense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if yeah. we're looking at it, the highest Olympic diving board is 10 meters. Right. And I think they have a diving board that's 20 meters in Montreal or something. Yeah, yeah. But you can only dive that once every few months because it takes a toll on your body. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, there's some tall roots <laughs> for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but there's some really, really established stuff in the world, like in uh, Mallorca, which I've also been to. It was like 25 five or 23 or something like i jumped off that once and i was like yeah i won't do that again it was very far <laughs> <laughs> at 20 meters or what was yeah, it it was like 23 i think yeah the diablo wall and oh so yeah or something yeah man yeah, it was big that hurts yeah and i think i did it without shoes on so that's why i would never do it again i think i'd definitely do it with shoes <laughs> <laughs> yeah well wait what are the sh- you need the shoes for the dive or the shoes for the no, climb? just like slapping the water with your feet yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> So then when you're doing the climb, do you get to the top and then do you have to fall mm. for these solos, for these deep Generally, water Generally, you don't. No, usually you like get into the area by down climbing like an easier route and then going back up. Or like with the kayaks, we'd sometimes paddle up to the cliff. And then in Malta, for instance, some of those cliffs were like 100 meters tall or more. So yeah, you just climb up to like where you're comfortable or where you're like, yeah, this is where the route ends and then just jump off, you know? <laughs> so you wouldn't want to just keep climbing in there, obviously, or at, in Malta, obviously, because it'd be too tall. But, yeah. Yeah. What have you seen for injuries along the way? You've been climbing for 30 years now. Uh, Lots of ankles, you know, like rolled kind of stuff. Um, I've never been the like present for like a fracture. Other than a wrist in Fontainebleau in France, some dude came off the boulder and like kind of missed his pad and broke his tib or his uh, radius and ulna. Both. Yeah. Oh, that was a bent arm then. Oh yeah. She has a (laughs) floppy noodle. (laughs) That hurts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jay, is there anything I haven't asked you? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. No, I think we did a pretty good job of (laughs) going through it all. Yeah. (laughs) All right, man. You want to close it out?